As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please to, uh, to pray with me. Father, now, as always, uh, we uh, look uh, to the word that you have given to us for this day. We know this whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation and everything in it is breathed out by you. That your Holy Spirit superintended all the authors to write that which you desired to be written to us so that we would have this record, uh, this life-giving record, this living word. And so now I pray that you would enable us to attend to it, that your spirit would work in such a way that we would not only understand, but we would believe it and it would transform uh, the way that we live. This, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 12, please. I want to read verses 38 to 42. Matthew chapter 12, please. And this is the word of God. Then the scribes, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you, but he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will, so the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, we've been, if you've been with us, um, in the Old Testament minor prophet Jonah for the last number of weeks. And, And this, of course, caps that, I think, as we come to the New Testament. And, and Jesus speaks here of Jonah. We said that the, the primary theme, the message from Jonah, the prophet, was that God is sovereign and God is sovereign over his mercy and grace. That's what we saw. We saw this sovereign ruling of God. It's his decision to be merciful and gracious. The sovereign mercy and grace uh, to the sailors who were in the ship with Jonah that he saved their lives. To Jonah himself, as he saved, rescued Jonah, if you will, and the people of Nineveh, and then, and then that final lesson, that twist to the whole, the whole episode, that that twist with Jonah uh, being displeased, really, that God had rescued the Ninevites, that He didn't pour His wrath out on them, and and, and that, that that lesson to realize that none of us is worthy of the salvation that comes by God, and 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 that therefore no one should be left out of. The message, at least, of, of hearing the message of this gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and now Jesus, amazingly, interestingly, makes note of, of Jonah. I mean, I, I think if Jesus wanted to compare himself to anybody, maybe it would be Isaiah. I don't know who saw the great vision of the glory of God or Elijah with his great, with his great power, but or Jeremiah with, with his, his announcement of the new covenant and, and all of that. But he, he picks the disobedient one, the disobedient prophet. He picks Jonah. And he says, if you know about Jonah, you know about me. 
Uh, there's a sense in which Jesus is saying that Jonah prefigures me or he points to me. Some would say he's a type of me. Jesus would say that is if you understand and you see Jonah that you'll see me. One of the things that this tells us when Jesus is able to cite Jonah or one of the Old Testament prophets, anything from the Old Covenant, is, is, is to realize the continuity of the Bible. To realize the continuity of the Bible. I mean, it spans a long period of time from creation to the establishment of the church, if you will. Uh, many, many different authors, all the way from Moses through the apostles. Uh, 66 books, we say, but there's a theme, there's a continuity to it. So that if you're in one section of the Bible, uh, it, it doesn't stand alone. It's built upon and builds to the others as well. And, and we see that here, that, that Jesus is saying... Uh, here I am, but, but if you know Jonah, it'll help you really understand, understand me. Now he talks specifically to uh, these folks who are with him called the scribes and the Pharisees. Now the scribes were the teachers of the law. Uh, you can have a picture of a scribe in your mind. Somebody's writing these things down. But that's a, a student of the law who has become such a student of the law that he's able to be a teacher of the law. So when the New Testament talks about the scribes or the teachers of the law, that's who they're, who they're speaking of. And the Pharisees were a sect, if you will, a society of men who were committed to living this law out, committed to living this law out as they understood it. And I say as they understood it because it appears that they didn't always really understand it. Uh, you remember Jesus when he was speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he, he was often quoting what the teachers of the law and the Pharisees believed that the law said. But Jesus said, well, let me tell you what it means. In fact, even earlier in this chapter in Matthew in chapter 12... Uh, Jesus, again, is speaking to the Pharisees. And in verse 7 of chapter 12, he says, And if you would have known what this means, and then he goes on to quote a bit of scripture, he said, you would have not condemned uh, the guiltless. Uh, and so uh, there's a sense in which, did they really get it? Did they really understand it? Oh, they were teachers of the law. They were enactors of it as they understood it. But, but were they really right about it? Probably not, at least in many instances. And so Jesus was often... Correcting them. So he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. And one of the difficulties with the scribes, is, and especially the Pharisees as we know, is that they elevated the law in such a way that we might even say that it became for them an idol. That it became for them an idol. Their religion, if you will, the law as they understood it, became for them in a, in a very real sense an idol. It worked up in them a sense of pride and self-righteousness. We can do this. We're really better than everybody else. You remember when Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, if you can put those two different people in your minds, that the, the Pharisee was the religious one, well-respected, influential. People looked up to him, all of that, well-dressed. There he was in the temple. And if you looked in the temple uh, in those days and you saw a Pharisee there, you would say, he belongs here. He looks just right, just like he fits, you know. And and then the tax collector was a hated person. Um, 
I don't want to draw out any parallels uh, in our day, just in case any of you work for the IRS. But 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 tax collectors, especially in those days, were thieves, uh, and 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 they stole really from their own people. They were given a certain territory from which to collect taxes, and and uh, and they could collect really as much as they wanted, as long as they paid the authorities what the authorities desired and demanded from them. They could keep the rest, and so you can only imagine the difficulties that would come, plus collecting taxes. From their own people, from Jews to pay to the Romans, complicated. But they weren't very well liked. And so you looked at the tax collector and you think, well, he doesn't, he shouldn't be here. But you remember the story that Jesus told. The, the Pharisee begins to pray, you know, God, thank you that I'm not like that guy. And then he listed all the things that he obeyed out of the law. Well, that was the pride, if you will. Of the Pharisees, the tax collector, you remember, just beat his chest and said, have mercy upon me, the sinner. And he was the one justified. He's the one who belonged, if you will. But the Pharisee, the, the, the pride of the Pharisee, and then it gave him a nationalistic kind of pride as well. We have the law of God, nobody else does, and so that makes us the favored nation in such a way that we can keep it amongst ourselves and, and everyone else is condemned, and, and that's sort of how that came to be. So Jesus was talking to these scribes and and, and, and Pharisees, and you can kind of draw a bridge there if you want, make a bridge there if you want to Jonah. Jesus doesn't per se here. But, but, but you get the sense that Jonah felt like that too when he didn't want to go to Nineveh and when he was sad that God had actually saved them, rescued them when they repented. So, so Jesus is talking to these particular, particular ones. And you'd think, wouldn't you, that the religious leaders of the day would be the ones that would have uh, recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, after all, uh, that's they'd been looking for him. They'd been waiting for the Messiah to come. Wouldn't you think that these particular ones would be the very ones? But you see, their idolatry kept them from seeing that Jesus was really the Messiah. He didn't fit their profile. He didn't fit their na- nationalistic profile. They didn't. He didn't fit this self-righteous, at least as they had it, in their own lives, profile. So, so they turned against him because of all of this. And so here they are with Jesus, and they ask him for a sign. Now, you wouldn't think that would be such a big deal. In fact, as I read this, I'm going, come on, Jesus, do something great. Shut their mouths. I mean, just, just do something that will kind of show them, yes, I really am the Son of God, nana, 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 right? Just do something so great that they, they, they would have to say, you really are the Son of God. And they would humiliate them before all, all the people. But, but Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, he said, no, I'm not going to give you a sign. At least not at that moment. I'm not going to give you a sign. He, he read their hearts, obviously. You remember that the Pharisees were often testing Jesus to try to trap him. They, they didn't ask for a sign because they, they wanted their faith increased. They wanted to ask for a sign so they could discredit Jesus and they could say, well, see, that really doesn't prove anything at all. And so that, that's what they were after. Jesus knew that. And, you know, we have to really come to grips with the fact that God doesn't jump through our hoops. We really need to come to grips with the fact that God doesn't jump through our hoops. Uh, he's God. He knows the best way to reveal himself to us. And so he's going to do that. And he's not going to be 
toyed with and he's not going to be uh, able to be tricked into showing us something that isn't the best thing to show us of himself. But not only that, Jesus had been doing signs all the time for them to see. In fact, signs are are, are a way that we really do get to know who Jesus is. In fact, John, when he writes his epistle, when he, no, I'm sorry, when he writes his gospel, when he writes his gospel, he says there are many things that Jesus did that aren't included in this book, but I've included these signs, and there are seven of them. If you read through the gospel, then there's seven signs, then plus the big one, the resurrection. There's seven signs that Jesus, that John points to that Jesus did. He says, but I, I've chosen these particular signs so that you know, may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that you may have life by believing in his name. So these signs are not unimportant. And Jesus had been doing signs. In fact, Matthew sets up his gospel in a particular way, a particular order. He has some, some teaching, chapters 5 through 7, we call the Sermon on the Mount. And then chapters 8 and 9, he walks through a number of things that Jesus did that should knock our socks off, that should say, well, He's the son of God. I mean, he begins with this leper who comes to Jesus. This leper comes to Jesus and said, if, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I, I will. And he makes him clean. He heals this leper. Now, he says to the leper, don't tell anybody, but go to the priest. Now, the reason that Jesus said that was that first, that was the Old Testament law to go to the priest. Because the priest could be the one that could declare you clean. Because leprosy had this sense of being more than just a disease. It was infectious and all of that. And so to be part of the community, you had to be declared clean. And so go to the priest. But not only that. When Messiah came, it was well known that he would do miracles like this. That he would cleanse lepers. That he would give sight to the blind. That he would unstop the ears of the deaf. They would make the lame walk, you see. And so by going to the priest, this was an, annou- an announcement that the Messiah is here. Look, I-, I just ran into this guy and he made me, made me better. He cleansed me. The priest, who should have known things like this, should have been thinking, oh, the Messiah, the Messiah is here. And then this centurion, this Roman centurion, this Gentile comes to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, I have a servant who's paralyzed and he's suffering. And Jesus said, well, then I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. And, and he said, you, you don't really need to do that. I'm not worthy of you coming to my house. Listen, the centurion says, I'm a man who has authority and who's under authority. I understand authority. If I say to one of my servants, come, he comes, go, he goes. So implied in all this, Jesus, all you have to do is say the word. You have the authority over this. I believe. And Jesus was astounded. He said, I haven't seen faith like this anywhere. And he spoke the word and the servant at that moment was healed. And then then Jesus goes to Simon Peter's house. And Peter's mother-in-law is ill and Jesus heals her. And then others begin to come. There are demon-possessed people who come and and Jesus casts out the demons and they're healed. Others come who are sick and and he heals them uh, so that he he can prove what the prophet Isaiah spoke of the Messiah who is to come and that he will heal our sicknesses and our infirmities. And, and so, so he does all of this. And you see, those are signs that the religious leaders should have just been marveling at these things and saying, well, the Messiah is here who can do stuff like this. And then there was a storm at sea. 
And Jesus was with his disciples and, and the storm was great. And even these, these fishermen who are very accustomed to being on, on, uh, in, in boats and, and having the, the sea upset and all of that, even though they were accustomed that they were afraid because they said, this is the big one. And Jesus kind of looked at them and said, come on, why are you afraid? I'm with you. And so he just rebuked the wind. I mean, think about that. Word gets around about that and people are wondering, who is this? Who is this guy? You know, really? And then he comes across these two men who were living in tombs. And they were living in tombs because they were demon possessed. And they were uh, fierce. Everyone was afraid of them. Nobody would even walk that way because they would come out and, 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 and make everyone afraid for their own lives. And so, so, so Jesus comes upon them and the, the demons themselves recognize who Jesus is, which is one of the great ironies of the gospel. That the demons always know who Jesus is. The religious people never do. And so the, the demons uh, start this, this conversation with Jesus. Why are you here? You're not supposed to be here yet. You know, uh, at least have the have the have the have the, the goodwill to release us into those pigs over there, those swine. And so Jesus said, "All right," and they went into the pigs, and the pigs went down a steep bank into the water, and were killed. I mean, wouldn't that make you think? Who does who does that? I mean, come on, that's amazing. And then there was a a paralyzed man. It was a man who was paralyzed, and so his friends bring him to Jesus. And Jesus sees this paralyzed man and he says to this man, your sins are forgiven. Now, that's not much of a sign, is it? I mean, who can see that? So Jesus says, all right. What do you think is harder to say your sins are forgiven or say pick up your mat and walk? So just so you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I'll give you something you can see. Uh, Pick up your mat and walk. And the paralyzed man. The man all his friends knew were paralyzed. They had to pick him up and carry him there because he couldn't walk himself. Picked up his mat and walked. And then there was this man who was, who was a ruler in the synagogue and his daughter had died. His daughter had died. He, and he left this deathbed and he went to seek out Jesus. Because he knew, he had believed, that if Jesus knew about this, Jesus could bring her back to life. And so this, this man, ruler in the synagogue, went, found Jesus, told Jesus. Jesus said, all right, I'll come with you. On his way, there was a woman who had been bleeding for years, and no one could help her. And she had faith that if she could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, then the bleeding would stop and she would be healed. And so while Jesus is going to raise this girl from the dead, this other woman, without even saying anything to Jesus at all, touches the hem of his garment, and she's healed instantly. Who does that? And then, of course, Jesus goes to the synagogue ruler's house where the girl is dead and raises her up. Who does that? And then there's two men who are blind. And they know that Jesus is passing along. Others perhaps told them they could hear. Anyway, whatever it is, how they knew. And and they said to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, do you believe that I can heal you? Do you believe that I can restore your sight? And they said, yes. And he said, well, then see. Who does that? Who does that? And then there's a man who's demon-possessed and he can't speak. And Jesus loosens his tongue by releasing the demon. The man can, 
can, can speak. And then to summarize all of this, John the Baptist is in prison. And John the Baptist is in prison and, and he begins to wonder, am I in prison for the right reasons? And so he sends his disciples to go to Jesus' disciples with a question, are you really the one? And Jesus, you would expect, I would have expected just to tell John, yes. But he doesn't. He says to the disciples of John, tell John what you've heard and what you've seen. The lame walk. The blind have received their sight. The ears of the deaf, deaf are unstopped. The lepers are cleansed. See, those are all signs. Those are all signs that the Messiah has come. Because there's kind of an intrusion, if I could say it that way, of the kingdom of God. We're seeing the age to come and the age that is. And, 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 and Jesus said, well, that, that the Messiah is here. To bring healing and health and all of that. And so, so here it is. So what you've seen then are the signs. And the religious leaders said, that's not enough. I want you to rearrange the stars for me. I want you to make the dark clouds white. I, I want you to do something that, that jumps through our hoops so we can say, no, this, and Jesus said, no, 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 I, I, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm going to give you another sign. And here's the sign I'm going to give you. It's the sign of Jonah. Now, the sign of Jonah was, was, well, I'll just read it to you how Jesus put it in verse 40. He said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, uh, you know, of course, there is this little technical problem that Jesus wasn't. Three nights. <laughs> and you go, well, see, the Bible's wrong. And, you, and, and, and no, 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 no. It's just a Hebrew idiom for death. Three days and three nights. It just means he died just like Jonah. You say, well, Jonah didn't really die. No, no, no. But he, he made it to the gates of Sheol. He was as good as dead. I mean, really, he was in the belly of a fish uh, for those three days. Nobody knew where Jonah was. There's this sense of he should have been dead. He was nearly dead. God kept him alive, yes. But, 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 but you get the point. I mean, Jesus is saying that I want to give you this sign. Now, what happened in the days of Jonah? Well, well Jonah was was dead and then resurrected on the shore. And then he went out and he preached repentance. He preached repentance. And Jesus said, so that's the sign. It's coming. I'm going to be dead. Be in the belly of the earth, if you will, as a figure of speech. I'm going to be dead. These parts of three days. And then I'm going to be resurrected. That's the sign. See, the resurrection of Jesus is the sign. It's, it's, It's what tells us all of this is really true. I mean, it's at the very heart of everything. You read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each of their accounts ends... With the resurrection of Jesus. That doesn't happen. We don't have good news. We have a dead guy that we really liked. Right? But, 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 but he's alive. And, and so that's the sign. In fact, uh, when, when, it, when in all the sermons at Acts, when the, 
Jesus is preached. He's preached as the one whom you crucified, but God raised to life. That's always there. It has to be there. And in fact, it's the very essence, if you will, of the gospel. When Paul writes to the church in Corinth in chapter 15, he, he says this, uh, he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, and then he appeared. In other words, that's the, the, the guts of it. Uh, in fact, he goes on to say in chapter 12 of chapter 15, he said, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. You see, that's, the, that's it. If that isn't true. So Jesus is saying, if you want a sign, all these other signs are great. They just deal with the symptoms. You know, they show that I have power. They show that I have authority. They show that I give life. All of that, that's great. But here's the heart of it. Here's the guts of it. What I have to do is I have to conquer sin and death. And I do that by my death and I prove it by my, my, by my resurrection. This is the essence of the gospel. In fact, it's, it's the essence of, of, of every doctrine that we hold. It's, it's our Christology that is what we understand about Jesus. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 speaks of Jesus like this. And he was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. You see, the father said, he's my son. I would never forsake him. He's my son. I would never uh, allow his soul to, de- to decay in death. He's my son. I raised him. And I raised him because he had no sin. And I raised him because he paid for the sins of others. I accepted the payments. And he was free. He was free to go. He is indeed the Son of God. He doesn't rise from the dead. He's just another guy. But he rises from the dead. And his resurrection from the dead is to this new life. It isn't just like the resurrection of Lazarus. It's, it's not to the old body, but it's to an incorruptible body. It's a resurrection to, to that which is of the age to come. It's that resurrection. He's the very Son of God, the first fruits of all who believe everyone follows in his, in his trail. In fact, Paul says this is so important, this resurrection of Jesus. is it, It's the delineation, really, of believers. Romans chapter 10, and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him, that is, believes that he's the Christ, believes that he was raised from the dead, and all that 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 means, um, everyone who believes in him uh, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. This is for, for everyone. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. 
for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be will be saved. You see, this, this resurrection of Jesus is, is our hope. Um, he enables us uh, to persevere. In Hebrews and chapter 7, we read of, of Jesus like this. He's, verse 23, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood, Jesus does, permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, that is because he's alive, because he continues to live. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. How secure are you as a believer in Jesus? You're as secure as Jesus is alive interceding for you. And so as long as he's alive interceding for you, you're secure. The moment... He's gone. You've had it. The good news is he was raised from the dead. And he's alive forevermore, you see. So the resurrection is is really the linchpin in, in everything. And so Jesus said, you know, I could continue doing all of these signs. I could do party tricks for you. I could do all kinds of things for you. But, but really, A, I know that's not what you're after. And B... Just wait. I'll give you the sign. Now, of course, Jesus, Jesus knew the hearts of human beings. In fact, he told a parable that if they would put all this together, it would have scared them. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. But the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you're in your lifetime, that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you're in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and None may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, Jonah, by the way, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. They won't hear Jonah, Jesus said. Because you see, from Jonah, the Ninevites repented. And Jesus said, somebody greater than Jonah's here, and they still won't believe. They wanted a sign. And as I mentioned during the time of confession, this has been plaguing me. 
more than this week, but at least this week, because this has been on my mind. There's the we too sometimes do just that. Look for signs other than the resurrection of Jesus to convince us, to comfort us, to know that Jesus really is the Messiah, sins forgiven through him, reconciliation to God because of him. Do I do, I do that? Do we do that? Do we, do we say, do I say, well, if Jesus were really ruling and reigning, if he were really the Messiah, then I wouldn't see all the evil I see on a daily basis. I wouldn't read about all the evil that is in the world. Why doesn't he stop that? If he really were the Son of God, if he were really ruling and reigning, why this evil? Why would anyone allow this? How many times do you read in the paper, do you hear other people say, maybe from your own lips, if I were God, I would never have let that happen. And there's a sense in which, isn't it, that we're saying, God, show me by stopping this. If you stop that, then I'll believe. But, but you know that isn't true because he's already given us the sign of the resurrection and he's saying, trust me. I've got this. Trust me. But sometimes even in the context of our prayers, I must say that one of the things that we all struggle with is unanswered prayer. And when we talk about that, you know, God, why won't you save this person I've been praying for for 30 years? You have the ability, you have the power to do that. Or why did you let my grandfather die when I was 10 years old? That was my only prayer. I just said, answer one prayer in my life that my grandfather would live and he died. And, and, and so, so you didn't offer me that sign. You didn't prove to me that or my child is sick or my child is or I'm lonely bring me a spouse or <laughs> I've applied to graduate school let me get into this place and I didn't and and therefore you could have got I know you could have and you didn't therefore are you really or my own personal success you know God just make me successful you can do that you, you can give me enough money you can give me enough health you can give me enough wealth and all that I mean that's the tragedy of what we call the health and wealth gospel it leads people to think that, that these are the signs that if these things if success or health or wealth or whatever it is that you define success by and ease of life if all that is true then God must really be and we're led down that down that path or God, if you're really God, there wouldn't be injustice, there wouldn't be poverty, there wouldn't be uh, 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 all of this uh, evil in, in the world. So, so, so take it away. And I'll work hard at it even, but take it away. And that's the, that's the tragedy of what we call the social gospel, to lead us to think that if we do all these things right, then the world will be better, and that will prove that God really is. You know, we've been doing these things, various measures, and the world still is the way that it is. And God really is. And the sign isn't any of that. The sign is that Jesus, that Jesus rose from the dead. And there's a sense in which that's a warning. Jesus says to them, look, they believed Jonah. They believed this one prophet who had a one-line message. They had never seen him before. They had never heard about him before. We don't even know that they knew that he had been in the belly of the whale for three days before he showed up to them. We don't know any of that. 
All we know is that when they heard that the God of all creation, the holy God of the universe, is is coming to destroy you, they repented. And I've come and fulfilled all the prophecies that you've known. I've come and I've shown you these signs. And that's not enough. You still won't repent. Your, Your idolatry of your position with the people is still keeping you from humbling yourself before me. Your nationalistic notions are still keeping you from humbling yourself before me. And I'll tell you, if you don't repent, then the pagan people of Nineveh on the last day will bring judgment upon you because they repented. That's the warning. The blessing is, because Jesus was raised from the dead, someone greater than Jonah is here. The very Son of God. The one who conquered sin and death. The one who rules and reigns. The one who intercedes for our life. And so he says, okay, repent. Trust me. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples. He took bread after giving thanks. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks... This too he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. The apostle adds, for as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. We're declaring the sign of Jonah that he was dead and now he lives. And he says, all right, come to me. All you are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Trust me. You may not see what you want to see. But here's what you need to see. That Jesus has risen and he's alive. And he's here. He's with you. Intercedes for you. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, I pray for me, for all of us, that we can receive the sign that Jesus has given to us. His death, his resurrection, the preaching of repentance. And that we can hear or see all of that, hear all of that, To know that he's alive. So we pray even now that take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way that we'll know that someone greater than Jonah is present among us. And that in and of itself will cause us to repent and believe and humbly come to this table
we might receive life. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.